As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to Four to Six with A and B, your Ohio State podcast on the Athletic. Big episode this week. Huge. This is Bill Landis. I'm joined as always by Ari Wasserman. We have a special guest on 4 to 6 with AMB. It is Bruce Feldman, National College Football Writer for The Athletic. For my money, the best national football writer out there. No offense to anybody else who might be listening or anybody else we'll be working with. I've loved Bruce's work for a long time. We're super excited to have him on the podcast. We're going to talk about his freaks list that dropped last week. We talked about it on last week's episode. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of that with Bruce as it pertains to the Ohio State players. On the list, why those guys ended up there, any others that he considered putting on there, some really good insight and intel on important players for Ohio State for 2020, and then some a couple of bigger picture things with Bruce too about Ohio State and sort of the sport at large as we wait to see what happens with the fall season. After that, mailbag questions that we didn't get to last week. If you want to submit questions for future episodes, theathletic.com slash four dash six will get you 40% off an athletic subscription. You can submit questions for the podcast. And for mailbags, written mailbags in the future, get access to all of our coverage of Ohio State, all of our national college football coverage, all of the sports coverage as things are coming back uh, onto our televisions and into our lives, which is great. You can get that at the Athletic, theathletic.com slash four dash six. Let's get into the interview with Bruce Feldman. Very pleased to be joined on four to six with AMB by national college football writer for the Athletic, Bruce Feldman. Bruce, thank you uh, so much for for slumming it and coming on with me and Ari here. Uh, I appreciate it. I, did your listeners know that they're missing out on your creative uh, lid today? No, it's it's for the best that people don't get to see me. I'm in I'm in desperate need of a haircut, and I'm covering it up with a Quebec Nordique set. Yeah, you and everybody else desperate need of a haircut. Like I've got, I don't even know what the opposite of a mullet is, where my hair is like flowing back like six inches from behind, <laughs> and my head it's so thick now. 
Yeah, I don't. Mine's. Uh, I look kind of like. Uh, who was the guy with the Three Stooges had the hair on the side? Was that Mo? That's who I look like. No, Mo was the bald one. Curly, I'm guessing. Curly. Do yeah, we want to talk yeah. about my perfect hair, or should we just move on to the question? No, you maybe think? we'll move on. We'll move on to football. <laughs> your hair looks good. Um, Bruce, we wanted to talk to you about your your freaks list. We were talking about it last week uh, on our last episode, and we're surprised by some of the Ohio State appearances. We're wondering about uh, some others, so we want to pick your brain on that a little mm-hmm. bit, and then maybe ask you another question or two uh, about the Buckeyes uh, before we wrap up with you. So, uh, Ari, if you want to kick it off, go for it. Yeah, I thought it was really funny, Bruce, that people are like, what, what are you doing and trying to like give you lessons on the roster? Like The coaches weren't the reason why you put it there and you're sourcing and you're reporting. Just so if you're listening to this podcast right now, Bruce Feldman is a legend and you don't question his list. We have him on so that he can explain to us why it turned out this way. But I think Bill and I both knew that Master Teague was was very athletic, um, just looking at his body type and covering him in high school and stuff. But you know, I was kind of surprised that he made the top 10 of your list. Um, when you're going through this, what, what did you hear about him that made you um, so high on him and, and to get him into the top 10 when, on such a pretty impressive list? Yeah, I mean, when it comes to you guys, you know, Mickey Marotti's been there for a long time, and he is not just certainly at Ohio State, but at Florida. I mean, he was around some freaky athletes, right? And so for this list, especially this year, was kind of different because, as you know, there wasn't much of an off season, and so there was limited. Some schools were able to test some of their athletes in, you know, vertical jump, forty, you know, you name whatever it is. Uh, a lot of schools were not, but so to get to this point, you know, I always rely on a lot of coaches and this year I relied a lot on, on NFL scouts as well. Not that I hadn't in the past, but I relied on them for a, a good starting point with what are you hearing? Cause they're really plugged into people inside programs and development, especially, uh, in the case of Ohio state, you know, look, Mickey Marotti was a great resource for this. And so, and I don't remember who it was, but like the first day that you know, this story was out. Somebody tweeted, I think at, you know, like must've responded to Ari's tweet about the freaks list and, you know, brought up somebody else who was definitely on the radar. Cause that guy was a five-star athlete and he was, had legit track times in high school, but you know, I'm going to, I'm going to defer to Mickey Marotti on it than, than anybody else. So I appreciate the kind words you said, Ari, but it's like, if a strength coach tells me something inside his program, I'm not going to argue and I'm not going to bicker because he's got a much better read. And sometimes, and I'm not saying it's this specific case at Ohio State, but what has happened a few times is there is some guy who either put up freaky numbers at the opening, you know, when he was in high school or did something in high school. And then, you know, two years later, you just assume he's that guy and you talk to somebody in the program, they're like, yeah, you know, he may have run four, four, seven when he got here, but now he runs four, six, seven now or whatever. And so sometimes those guys aren't quite the same guy. Um, you know, I had a player at, uh, who was at Cal, who was on the freaks list for, for maybe at least two years, Demetrius Robinson, who's now at Georgia Robertson. And, it, you know, was really fast in high school. I remember talking to one of the guys on the Cal team. He was like, he was not the fastest guy on our team. So once, you know, like there were faster guys. And I think sometimes things change after a couple of years. So that's the long-winded explanation of, hey, why is Master Teague up there as opposed to somebody else who isn't? Well, I think it's a very interesting um, list to look at, Bruce, because it kind of puts things into perspective for us and for, you know, people who are trying to frame where players belong in the perspective of the team. 
Now, Master Teague suffered an Achilles injury, and there were some recent videos that he was out running again. But, Bill, when I read this, it kind of made me rethink, like, where this might be for Ohio State's running back position. Now, they welcome Trey Sermon in, but once I read Bruce's list, I'm like, well, if this guy is as freaky as being a top 10 freaky player on this list, then maybe we're selling him short or taking the Fiesta Bowl too seriously. And, you know, maybe he's a lot bigger of a contributor for Ohio State this year. It made me think. It made me think the same thing because it's it's been Trey Sermon kind of the whole way. I think since since Trey transferred um, back in April. But Bruce, when, when you're doing this list, um, how much do I guess, for lack of a better word, like football projections factor into it, or are you just trying to capture athleticism? I'm really trying to capture athleticism. You know, I like use the example of Penn State, right? So Jason Owe is a top five guy. I mean, his 40 time is insane for a guy who's almost 260 pounds to run in the four threes. And he's got other numbers that are pretty, pretty remarkable. Uh, Michael Parsons is a much better football player though. I mean, Michael Parsons is also a freak athlete, but it's, you know, you take it, um, you kind of take it, I would say, with a grain of salt a little bit. Boye Mafe is a guy who's top five, and his vertical jump, according to the uh, Minnesota staff, was 40 and a half inches. That's four and a half inches higher than anybody at the NFL Combine. They expect him to have a breakout year. He hasn't done it really that much to this point. But, you know, this is the freak athlete list, not the, you know, not the best players list. So... I mean, there's some some guys. I mean, there's a guy who I have on here who's actually number 50, Reed Blankenship from uh, Middle Tennessee. He's a really, really good football player. And his name came up when I talked to NFL scouts. I'm not saying he's a really good football player to be the point like he'll be a first-round pick, but I think he's a really good football player. Like, he's going to get drafted. He's going to be in the NFL probably for a long time. His numbers are not jaw-dropping. He's a really good athlete, but he's probably not, you know, he's not as freaky as a lot of these other guys. So, you know, I tried to weight it where, I mean, he is a really good athlete, but, you know, he's 50. He's not, he's not ninth. He's probably a lot better football player than a bunch of these guys, including some of these guys at bigger schools. But, you know, that's how you kind of, you kind of weight it. I mean, it is, these are the 50 biggest freak athletes and, um, you know, was, was Tristan Wirfs to me was like one of the examples where he was a great football player last year and he was a, a you know a huge freak athlete and Saquon was that way uh Marcus Hunt super freak athlete pretty good football player but not that so it's a balance so you have Master Teague number seven and the other Ohio State player on this list was Tommy Togiai uh defensive tackle number 42 and I had a conversation with Mickey Marotti last year uh, in fall camp because I was writing about Tommy and because people rave about just how strong he is and everyone was saying he's the strongest guy on the team. And I was talking with Mick back then. I said, Mick, this guy's got to be on Bruce's freaks list. And, and Mick's like, yeah, I don't really like putting guys out there. He's kind of young. Um, so I, th- I think he wanted to hold back on that a little bit. But but you have him on there this year. Uh, you have notes about his 500-pound bench press, his 650 squat. I was actually told by Larry Johnson last year that that tommy also runs a sub five uh 40 yard dash which is pretty good for a guy who's six two three hundred pounds uh what what did you learn about tommy and I, I don't know if he came up at all last year when you're putting this list together or what what caused him to land on the list this time yeah it, it's that super strength right by the way i think we've written more about tommy togiai this year than anybody in pocatello probably has just <laughs> between this um his yeah, it's it's just a super strength. Honestly, I didn't know where the where he was in terms of that forty time. 
um, I had a, a long, you know, we, my crew did, has done a bunch of Ohio state games over the past few years. And, and, you know, strength coaches and trainers are great people to pick their brains on, on the players. And, you know, in a lot of ways, in different ways than maybe you get from coordinators or certainly a head coach. And so Mickey's been a very good resource for little nuggets like that. Um, I remember, you know, I remember Master T's name came up for his straight line speed, which surprised me. Now, probably wouldn't have surprised you guys because you guys were more versed in him coming up through the recruiting lens. But, um, you know, Tommy's another one where I think he was he was on the radar. He just didn't know how to quantify it because there, there's a handful of guys and it's a small handful, but like who are that guy's probably a 500 plus pound bencher. Or, you know, and sometimes the squat numbers can be all over the map. So, you know, they're they're a little. I don't want to say they're more subjective, but you know, they're a little, a little more of that way. But again, if, and I'm, I'm glad you couched it the way you did, Bill, I think, you know, when Mickey gave it the thumbs up, okay, now he's, he, I, I think there's certain guys where it's like, eh, I'm not going to put that guy out there right now. I don't think he's ready to be put out there now. And I think in this case, I think that's probably a, a, uh, you know, if I, if I was an Ohio state fan and I'd read between the lines and I know you guys think, you know, are two steps ahead on this already. I would think that's probably a good sign for Tommy Togiai that that Mickey Marotti thinks it's thinks you know kind of gives him his blessing on this in this regard. Bruce, I have been covering Ohio State for you know ten years, and I started with Terrell Pryor being the quarterback, and I think he might be potentially the biggest freak in Ohio State history. Um, and though Ohio State's had um, a lot of very good quarterbacks in, in the time since uh, you know the ten years that have gone by since. Justin Fields, I think, is in that category. Um, did you give any consideration to Justin? Um, because obviously he is one of the best players in college football. That's not what this list is about. But I think he's pretty freaky too, right? He is. I mean, you know, he's big. He's not Cam Newton big, but he's big. And he's certainly fast. And I think the thing that people, maybe some people don't realize is how big of a dude he is when you see him in person in terms of like, you know, he's not, he's not just tall. I mean, he's not, he's just a big, thick guy who runs really well. Um, it's interesting in that regard because, you know, when, it, when you look at, I, th- I wondered, I was like, would I, is there a quarterback I should have on here? And there was a one I thought it was John Rice Plumley at Ole Miss because he's legit four, four flat kind of speed, but he's not, he's not, you know, he's, you know, he's average size for a DB or something. So it's not like that. Um, you know, I thought about it a little bit, but it's just, you know, this list is hard to keep to, to 50 and that's, that's the, up, the other side of it. So, you know, if I were to have the, the, the 10 best players in college football, he might be in the top two right now. So, and it certainly when it comes to the most, most important, I would think. Bruce, did, um, Zach Harrison's name come up at all in your conversations when you were trying to gather in some information on Ohio state guys? Yeah, he was the one that was the one, and it came up with NFL scouts because they know about his his track pedigree and 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 that sort of thing and his frame and everything else. I would not at all be surprised if he's a guy who's in the top fifteen next year when I do this list. I mean, I think that you know there's some there's some there's a lot of defensive linemen as you guys can see who are on this list. There's a bunch in the Big Ten, but. I think he's a guy who's probably in, you know, in the pipeline to, to be there after he's had more time in that program. He has my, my favorite. It's almost like a tall tale at this point, six, six, whatever he is, 250 pounds runs a 10, 700 meter in sneakers in the rain. 
<laughs> when he was in high school. In the rain, yeah. yeah. In the rain, it's pretty awesome. It's always in the rain. Yeah, have that in the rain, yeah. Hey, Bruce, when you um, look at these freak athletes, and I just think just not even so much about Ohio State, but just in general, do you see that there's a correlation between the amount of freaks on a roster or in a conference um, and how good those conferences and teams are? Or do you think there's a lot of isolated um, you know, freaks on different teams that doesn't necessarily translate to just national championship caliber or playoff caliber teams? Yeah, I don't I don't think, Ari, it, it translates quite like that. I'll give you a, an example, and you guys would be good metric for this. Like, I've had a bunch of TCU guys on there in recent years, and they were a fast team. And you guys got to see, I think you did, them play Ohio State two years ago. Like they were a really athletic team, right? And they, I don't want to say they had Ohio State on the ropes, but they could, they played with Ohio State, no doubt, you know? And that's a team where I would be curious, it's like, just from, I, I, I'm not saying you guys don't turn on the TV to watch Big 12, but to see it in person, you're like, okay, they got some guys now. Like Shea Ulanaleo, the big running back they had, is every bit as freaky as any athlete that, you know, is, is anywhere, you know? And they have speed guys like that. Um, and so there's a, you know, there's places like Oklahoma had two guys on their defense who were legit, like top 15 kind of freaks. And the NFL saw them that way. Uh, and they still had a really bad defense or still had a really underwhelming defense last year. Right. So I think that would be my parallel. You could have some like, and one of those guys, Kenneth Murray was a really good linebacker. You know, the other guy, Neville Gallimore was a, was a good defensive lineman, but I just think that you know, you can have a couple of them in those difference makers. It's just, I think it takes more than that to, to be a top five kind of team. And, you know, sometimes people don't have that. Whereas I think, you know, if you have a team that has a bunch of guys where you're in consideration, then it, then it probably boosts you up and you do need, you know, look, you do need somebody special to, to be the quarterback at this point. I think that is the perfect example, Bill. Cause I remember, watching TCU in person and thinking, man, this team is really good. And I remember how shocking it was when they lost. Didn't they lose like six or seven games that year? Yeah. yeah. They ended up like having a pretty bad year. And like that team that was on that field, I think you could make the argument was the most athletic non uh, or regular season game Ohio State's had in the recent past. Yeah, those guys still show up. It's it's the collective, I think, that Bruce is talking about that, that puts you over the top. But but even when you get on the field against a team like Ohio State and that, that kind of measuring stick, your your freakiest guys, I think, still can stand out. We've seen that over the years, even with teams that aren't very good. Um, I wasn't covering a team in 2013, but like Khalil Mack came out and just like whooped Taylor Decker. And everyone was like, what is happening right now? Why is this guy from Buffalo doing this? I was like, oh, because it's Khalil Mack. And he's going to show. Everybody thought that the offensive line that year was terrible, and it just turned out to be one of the best events. Well, they had. There was a year. It may have been the same Khalil Mack year. Maybe it was the next year. But they played Western Michigan, and Western Michigan had a slot receiver. It was not. I want to say Corey Davis is the guy who's with the Titans now, who's the you know top ten pick. But it was. Um, blanking on his name something braverman maybe daniel or dennis daniel. Braverman. yeah daniel yeah, who was from south florida who was a really fast kid and i was like this guy who's in the mac you know he looks like he belongs he should be in you know you'll see those guys who will pop and you'll see him against really really good teams like oh that guy could play in the big 10 or oh that guy could easily play in the sec and not just play they would be really good players in there it's just you know, you just don't see a bunch of them that they have. That's the thing. 
Hey, Bruce, just wanted to um, pivot from the freaks list while we have you for a few more minutes and just ask you another big picture question because one of my favorite things that you and Stu Mandel do um, every year is ranking your top coaches, and I can't imagine how hard <laughs> that is um, to do, <laughs> especially with you know how much can go into that and the, the variables and stuff. But I do know that when I was listening to it this year that Ryan Day was not included because he only had one year under his belt. I think there's a, a few-year qualifier before you guys start ranking guys. But given your uh, sources in this business and you know the ability to go around the, the country and see some of the best programs every week through TV stuff, I was just wondering where would you put Ryan Day um, in the context of the best coaches in America and you know, how does he just stack up in terms of like what you've heard and what? Yeah, you've he's seen? checking all the boxes. I mean, I think he's really smart. I think he's got a great temperament. I think if he has another year, I think he's got to be, you know, in the top six or seven, uh, with, you know, right, probably right behind Lincoln Riley in that group right now. I think it's. I think there's a feels like there's a big drop between the first two because they won the championships, Saban and Dabo, and then there's maybe what I would say four or five more. I mean, it's hard to quantify, you know, what he would have done in a little over two, you know, a little over one season versus let's say what Brian Kelly's done or worse, honestly, what James Franklin has done at Vandy and then at Penn State. It's just, especially he took over from Urban. That thing was rolling, right? And he kept the best parts of Urban's operation too, you know, great D-line coach, a lot of really good assistants, great strength conditioning, great recruiting staff. So, um, but, you know, there's... There's nothing, this is, I don't know if this is a triple negative. There's nothing not to like about what, what you see from Ryan Day. Like there, everything is there. Temperament, you know, X and O's. I mean, he's, he's, and I don't know, Stu and I had this conversation. I was like, oh, give me the over under on how many national championships think Ryan Day is going to win there. And I would not be surprised if he wins more than 1.5 there. You know, I, and maybe someday he's in the NFL, maybe he's not, you know, because he's been there before. But I, I mean, I just think, you know, that was about as seamless a transition as you could ever hope for if you're an Ohio State fan or Gene Smith. And and one more out of me, because um, I'm very interested about your perception on this and the way that you guys use that list, but what's more uh, impressive to you in your mind? Building something that isn't a traditional winner into a, a team that wins eight or ten games unexpectedly or, or makes a, a bowl that's above their um, usual result or taking over at a program like Ohio State and in keeping the, the ship rolling, especially if, if the person you took over is from urban yeah. building it or keeping it. I think it going. it's harder to build it, to be honest. I mean, it's not easy to do either, but I think it's just so much harder to build it because if, you know, in the case of Franklin, nobody won there, got close to winning. He went in there and won, you know, I, I think it's different if you go to somewhere where people have had some success and then all of a sudden you just, you built off it. That's not to diminish it. It's just, I think when, you know, I, I'm not sold that a lot of people could go in to Vanderbilt or could go into Oregon State or could go into, you know, wherever. Like a lot of people put Fitz high on the list because he's done a really good job at Northwestern. Um, so I think that's the challenge is how do you, you know, it's it's all kind of a, a, a little, obviously it's just subjective though. Bruce, we'll, uh, we'll let you go on this. Um, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you one one question about just all the, the moving parts right now with trying to get a college football season off the ground. And we're still waiting on schedules and, and what that all might look like. But with what's happening right now with Major League Baseball and the uh, Miami Marlins, I know you and Andy had a story about this on The Athletic on Monday. How much should people who are 
interested in whether or not there's going to be a college football season, be paying attention to, to how that plays out in Major League Baseball. How much are the, the power brokers in college football watching that? And you think it might have any impact at all on what they ultimately decide or, or don't decide to do? Yeah, Bill, I talked, we talked to a lot of people in the last couple of days. I, I don't think it's going to be a knee-jerk reaction. Okay, the Marlins have, as of now, we're taking a 17 positive test. That means we've got to shut shut down college football. I think where it gets, well, it's on their radar now to watch because if, and one of the ADs I talked to yesterday, or on, I guess it's Tuesday, told me this, um, or is it Monday? I don't even know what days we are. Uh, I guess it was Monday. He said that if there was like five or six teams that had this, this would be really, really troubling because, you know, the optics are not great. These are not professional athletes to begin with. We're talking about with college football. There's smaller rosters with baseball. And so I think that right now it's like people are trying to be optimistic and they're hoping that, you know, look, the people we, one of the ADs we talked to in, uh, in the power five yesterday told us, look, they expected baseball to have some of these issues and some of these things. So it's not shocking to them. Now, hopefully it's getting under control. And I think there's a lot of people who have their fingers crossed. And that includes, I think, you know, me, you, and everybody else who's connected to college football. Yeah, it's, it's still, it feels a little hard to, to get a grasp on, but um, people like yourself, Andy, uh, Nicole Auerbeck, Chris Vanini, really our whole national staff have done a great job of, keeping people in the loop on that and doing some great reporting. So if you're listening to this and you haven't read some of that, I implore you to go to the athletic and read some of it to, to stay on top of what's happening with college football. Uh, Bruce Feldman, thank you so much for, for joining us here on four to six day and be really appreciate your insight. My pleasure. Thanks for having me guys. So maybe you guys have noticed that uh, sports are back. Yeah, they're back. They're all happening at once. It's kind of crazy. It's pretty awesome. But with so much going on, it can be a little hard to keep track of everything all at once, all the news, all the best stories. Well, guess what? You can go to The Athletic, and we have you covered. And I mean literally on everything. Nobody covers the wide range of sports better than we do. The NWSL just wrapped up its Challenge Cup. We have Meg Linehan on that, and nobody does it better. Chantel Jennings is covering the WNBA restart. Joe Varden is inside the NBA bubble in Orlando. We've got an army of writers on Major League Baseball and the NHL restarts and on the NFL as training camps ramp back up. And of course, we have our college football staff covering the latest going on there. Don't miss exclusive, in-depth coverage of this unprecedented sports season. Subscribe now and save. Sign up to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. If you go to theathletic.com slash 4-6, you receive 40% off an annual subscription. Sports are back, and we don't want you to miss breaking stories on your favorite teams. So go to theathletic.com slash 4 6 for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Okay, Ari, what do you say we get back into the mailbag since we did a poor job of answering everyone's questions last week? Can't help, but we're popular, man. Yeah, you know, we, sometimes we get to talking and we can't control ourselves and then we skip over everyone's questions. So we'll get a couple here uh, before we wrap up this week's show. First question from Alex I. I think it's an I. Sometimes I have a hard time reading capital I's and capital L's. I think this is Alex I. He asks, uh, given Brian Hartline's success, who is another former Ohio State player who could be highly successful as a coach slash coordinator? Did one person jump immediately into your head when you read that question like me? Uh, I mean, I th- uh, there are two very obvious answers, I think, and one's like kind of already done it. 
Um, is the person that jumped into your head obvious or less so? I think it might be less so. Well, who do you think is obvious? And then I'll tell you if that's the person that jumped in my head. The most obvious one, I think, is Marcus Freeman because he's like already a coordinator at Cincinnati. And he's coordinating Luke Fickle's defense, but if he ever got the opportunity to sort of run his own show, I think he'd be successful at that. And then the other one is Kenny Guyton, who's at uh, Colorado State right now. He's coaching receivers at Colorado State. He's been uh, Houston, um, Louisiana Tech. So he's been coaching a little bit too. So like those are the two probably most successful former Buckeyes in coaching who like aren't coaching at Ohio State, if I'm not speaking out of turn. But who was your guy? Yeah, well, the thing that's interesting is when I read this question, I didn't read it as only people who were already coaching. Yeah. Like, I also thought of people with personalities and a love for the game that I think would be really good at the job um, if they ever wanted to try it. And I don't know if that's like going, then you open up the entire world to a million people. And the first person that I thought of outside of Marcus Freeman, because obviously he's the, like you said, the most obvious one would be... um, Joshua Perry. I think he'd be a hell of a yeah. coach. And I, that's the fun place to go with this question. Or guys maybe who aren't doing it who we think could do it. And I was actually um, thinking of this question. I was just rushing home to get back in time to record this podcast and thinking about this question. And he was he was the first guy who popped into my head who's not already a coach. But I also think Josh Perry might be like the mayor of Columbus someday. Yeah, I know. Maybe coaching is not a high enough aspiration for him. But just in terms of like, Somebody that I feel like could relate to prospects, somebody who played the position at the highest level, a person who played in the NFL. Um, I don't think he reached the same heights in the NFL that Brian Hartline did with the contract that he signed and, you know, being the number one receiver at at an NFL team. But I do think that everything that you need in order to be a coach or at least a very successful recruiting assistant, Joshua Perry has. And he's also very well dressed and super nice, super nice and super likable. I think he's doing some real estate stuff now, and he does some stuff with Eleven Warriors. Um, I follow Josh on Twitter still. He's he's super bright, um, really insightful. I enjoy following him. He's got a great view on the world. I think. Um, I don't know. I think he. I think he might be. Uh, he might. No offense to the people we cover. He might be too good for this stuff. I think. He, I think maybe politics are in his future. Because he also um, does Big Ten Network stuff too. If I'm not mistaken, he does. and he's really good yeah. on TV. So, like, I do think that. Just in general, a very underrated aspect of being a good coach, Bill, is having the charisma and the likable personality to do it. Now, I think that there's really brilliant coaches who do a pretty good job of X's and O's and understanding how to you know, draw up an offense and putting people in position to play. But I think more so than even in the NFL, I think personality is important in college because you have to relate to people and acquire talent through that personality. And you know, I always think maybe even more than I should – that personality kind of drives my thought process on that even more than football expertise. Not that he doesn't have it, but personality is my driving force. I would agree with that, which is why um, when I was thinking about guys who aren't coaches and maybe someday might become one, um, Robert Landers popped into my head. And I I don't know what's going to happen with his football career. I I actually – I don't think he's been signed by anybody. Um, He wasn't signed immediately after the draft. I didn't really think he'd get drafted. So I hope if he's chasing that still, I hope that works out for him. But when I think about guys who've got a lot of charisma, um, really engaging personality, smart, funny, thoughtful, um, Robert Landers like checks all those boxes. And I also think, too, when you're talking about former players becoming coaches, I think most of the time the guys who have the best chance or best track record maybe of doing that are guys who like weren't superstars as players 
but could be pretty good as players like had to find an edge like had to find their thing to like sort of overcome maybe some physical shortcomings like Robert Landers was not any way shape or form like a prototypically sized defensive tackle but he made it work he figured it out and he was really good and productive for Ohio State and I think those guys um, just think about things a little differently and can become good coaches so I, I don't know if BB wants to do that or not but I could certainly see him filling that kind of role in the future I don't know if it's as simple as just going down the NFL list bill of players who are currently active in the NFL who you know might not be NFL stars but just seem to have the right personality. Like I, I could go down the list right now. Like I think Raekwon McMillan makes sense. <laughs> I think uh, Billy Price would be a good one. Um, Ryan Shazier, somebody who had to over, overcome some stuff and um, is an Ohio State legend and still is really important to his team after the physical injuries that he he's you know sustained. Johnny Dixon, Bradley Roby. Like <laughs> there's a lot of guys I think that you could just nail down in terms of personality. Like Draymond Jones, Darren Lee, the three-star kid from Columbus, Ohio, who like made his life being a Buckeye. Like, couldn't could you imagine Darren Lee being a linebackers coach? He'd be incredible. Yeah, I can. I think I could envision anyone who was coached by Luke Fickle becoming a coach. Yeah, no, I mean Austin Mack. You know, you've written a lot about him and his, you know, ability to relate to people. There's just a lot there. I wrote a story. I have it up here. um, When I was still at Cleveland.com, this was in. 2017 it was right after Luke Fickle left and um it was I asked Irvin Meyer this at Big Ten Media Days and he didn't know it <clears throat> but when Luke Fickle left it it basically ended a streak of it was at least 90 years I couldn't verify it all the way back to the beginning of Ohio State football but it was at least 90 years that Ohio State had had a former player on its coaching staff and that ended when Luke Fickle went to Cincinnati and they replaced him with uh, Billy Davis <sighs> Billy Davis and uh Urban Meyer didn't know that, and I, I thought I kind of caught him off guard when I asked him about it. But as a companion to that story, I made a list of guys who had played at Ohio State and weren't currently coaching at Ohio State, but I thought could end up there. And all the names are kind of obvious, but I put a poll at the end of the story and let people vote on who they thought it would be. And in 2017, everyone voted for Brian Hartline, so they nailed it. But third on that list, Kenny Guyton was second, and Kenny Guyton was already coaching by then. Third on that list was JT Barrett. And I used to feel very strongly about JT eventually becoming a quarterback's coach. And I don't know if I feel as strongly about that anymore. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Like he's, uh, I don't know. I don't know why I don't feel like, I think he's really going to give, try to give the NFL thing a go. He's on the Steelers roster. Um, and I just don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't really have a great reason for it. I just like used to think like, I, I thought it would almost be immediate. Like he would never have any shot of sticking in the NFL and would just go right into coaching. And to his credit, he's been able to, to hold on to roster spots or practice squad spots, um, and maybe he'll continue doing that. When you said JT Barrett's name, I was personally ashamed of myself for not saying it on my own, because like, it's the most obvious answer, more so than Josh Perry, maybe. Maybe I don't like, like it anymore because it's so obvious. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but here's my last pitch for you, and you tell me if you're done with this, okay, Bill? Ohio State defensive coordinator Von Bell. Yeah, sign me up tomorrow. Let's do it. 
Yes, please. Vaughn, uh, what, what would you guys? Uh, what was the game plan there when you guys uh, shut down Indiana? Man, it was uh, we just made plays. Oh, <laughs> we just made plays. Thanks, thanks, we just made plays. <laughs> Super insightful. Appreciate it. <laughs> I thought he was my. He is my favorite player that I think we've ever interviewed. I've best. never seen somebody so happy, no matter what. Always had a smile on his face. Um, Guy's smooth, man. One other guy we didn't mention who is in coaching, and there are probably others that we haven't talked touched on. Uh, Jimmy Cordell, former Ohio State offensive lineman, is the offensive line coach at long island university go sharks um he was at urbana urbana folded its program um but he's uh, long island university is division one now so he's a division one offensive line coach fcs um so maybe he's somebody who one day could end up here too a lot of options when you got a lot of people going in the nfl i guess okay we had two similar questions on what might happen if ohio state plays in the spring as it pertains to quarterback and we've talked about this a little bit uh, Chris M. asked, if there is a spring football season, how much would the style of the offense change with C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller at quarterback? And I probably asked these out of order because the question from Nicholas F. was, if the football season were moved to the spring season and Justin Fields opted to sit out, and that's not an if, that's a definitely will happen, uh, who would be the favorite to start at quarterback? So let's take the second one first, and then we can address the first one if we think there's going to be any changes. Do you have a lean at the moment on – I mean, it's a it's a crazy hypothetical, but who might have the upper hand in the starting quarterback competition if we play in the spring and Justin Fields goes pro? I've been criticized for this, and uh, maybe it's a fault or maybe I'm just ahead of the curve, you tell me, but I always like to read the tea leaves on how coaches react in the recruiting world. Um, to kind of like gauge who they might like more. And in the past, Ohio State has tried to recruit and has recruited two quarterbacks in the same class. And their behavior is always an indication of um, how much they like the first guy and the second guy, right? So like if you love the first guy and you can't live without him, then you don't want to do anything to rock the boat. But if you like the second guy who isn't committed while you do have a commit, then you do whatever you can with reckless abandon to get the guy that you can't live without. And in my opinion, C.J. Stroud was that guy in the 2020 class. So given the fact that they haven't had football activities yet and C.J. Stroud jumped up to being a top 50 player nationally and Jack Miller, through no fault of his own, um, but had some injuries and and ended up in the 300s, I think that the only answer right now based on the information that we have is C.J. Stroud. I would agree, and I almost feel bad because I, I do feel like Jack Miller gets lost in this conversation. When like when Ohio State first started recruiting Jack Miller, everyone was going nuts, and rightfully so. He's very highly ranked, and he's good. If you go back and watch his film from when he was healthy, he's a good quarterback. And he can play at Ohio State. I think he can play anywhere in the country. But he also – it's he's not really Ryan Day's guy. Like He was more of an urban guy, and Ryan Day liked him, obviously, because he stuck with him, and he, and he wanted to keep him in the class. But – Faced with the decision of having to add another quarterback, like you said, he went out and got C.J. Stroud. Now, we have proof that Ryan Day can go out and get his guy and not necessarily be tied to him because Matthew Baldwin was his guy, and then he went out and got Justin Fields, and that's an extreme scenario because this generational quarterback talent happened to end up in the transfer portal. Of course you'd take him. But I, I just say that as a way of saying maybe don't automatically assume that Stroud's a guy because he was maybe a little more handpicked than Jack Miller. But I would I would do that anyway. I, I think Stroud's the guy um, if that if it comes to that. And I would pick Stroud to be the guy if it's a normal fall season and we're talking about 2021. I just think he brings a little more to the table. And Jack Miller, if he stays at Ohio State, I think he can develop into a good quarterback, and maybe he'll he'll do the Joe Burrow thing and end up a starter somewhere else if if that becomes the case. But they're both really good. That's a good problem to have. But but Stroud, I think, has, has a little more to him. 
And uh, the second question, if regardless of who it is, Miller or Stroud, do you anticipate any substantial changes to the offense if that were to be the case? I don't know, X's and O's guy. I uh, <laughs> I feel like um, Ohio State had a athletic, but not much of a runner at quarterback last year, even though he's really good runner. You know, like I think that they had a pass first offense from a person that was able to evade pressure and, you know, every now and then scramble and make some crazy play with his legs because Justin Field is a freak of nature. But like, also, if the quarterback didn't run last year, Ohio State's offense would have been just as productive. You know, maybe they would have moved the chains once or twice a game um, fewer times. And I get in close games, that could be a huge difference. But, you know, I don't know. I think Ohio State's offense is in a position right now where a running quarterback can accentuate um, what it does, but I don't think it needs a running quarterback to be what it was. I think Urban Meyer's offense was far more reliant on a runner. Um, And I think we've seen that uh, dysfunction based on, you know, the way things went with Cardale Jones and JT Barrett in 2015. Like, to me, like, if we both answer the question of C.J. Stroud having more to it, he's he's less of a runner than Jack Miller. So I think that's an indication that we both think uh, right now that that's not necessarily a, a need for Ohio State's quarterback for this offense to take off. They both can run. Like, that's the thing. Like I th- And I think that will be true with every Ohio State quarterback moving forward. Maybe some will be a little more built for running than others, but mobility, athleticism is always going to be part of the equation. Like, even with Kyle McCord, um, he's a pro-style quarterback, but if you watch his film, he can move a little bit. And, that, and that's what you want. You don't need, you don't need JT Barrett. But you also don't want a statue back there. But I, and I would think that Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud both fall into that category of like athletic enough, and and maybe even probably that's probably short selling it a little bit. Both those guys are pretty good athletes. Uh, but I don't think the offense changes much. And I think I have an anticipation for the offense this year that things will expand a little bit um, if Justin Fields is the quarterback because he'll be more experienced, maybe throwing the ball in a little in the middle of the field a little more, some some better timing on some of that stuff. But I don't think it's going to look totally different from what we've seen. And if I'm an Ohio State fan and I'm pondering this prospect of C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller having to play in the spring and sort of being rushed along a little bit, I thought Ryan Day did a really good job of putting a young, inexperienced quarterback in good spots to be successful last year with Justin Fields. And I would have a lot of confidence that he'd be able to do the same with either of these guys in the spring. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, good job, Bill. Thanks, man. Um, Cold star. I think that if Ohio State were facing this scenario um, in past years, they'd be in bigger trouble. And, like, I know it's kind of hard to picture that because JT was such a long-time fixture, but having two players that were this heavily recruited, I don't necessarily think that um, at a place like Ohio State, that freshman quarterback is a scary thing as it might have used to be maybe even 10 years ago. Um, And I'm – think I'm going to do a story on this here eventually, Bill, but just quarterbacks in general, uh, especially ones that uh, compete in things like the opening and um, the Elite 11 are, are so much more advanced than they were five, seven, ten years ago. Um, and both of those guys were part of that. Now, Jack Miller um, was a little limited because of injuries, but still, like C.J. Stroud like blew up because he participated in those camps and showed that he was in... I mean, you know how good you have to be to, um, to win the MVP of the Elite 11? Because, you know, I know it's not game film, and but you have to be really good. And they've got very um, nuanced and um, experienced quarterback coaches watching for everything from footwork to release to patience to leadership. And, like, I think to me, like, if C.J. Stroud, 
Let me say this, and you tell me if I'm nuts. If Justin Fields decided he didn't want to play this year and C.J. Stroud was Ohio State's starting quarterback, I still would pick them to go to the playoff. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's nuts. I think I would too. I I don't. I would. I think I would pick them to win the national championship right now. I wouldn't do that with Stroud, but I still pick them to win the Big Ten and go to the playoff. Same. All right, let's get out on this question because it's a little bit quicker of an answer uh, from Kevin S. He leaves it open ended. He says the freshman wide receiver who goes off this year against Michigan will be. That's a fact. Someone's going to right. <laughs> I mean, it was Garrett, Garrett Wilson had 100 yards and a touchdown last year. Chris Olave played like one of the greatest games of football in the last like 10 years against Michigan as a freshman in 2018. Who's the next guy? Jackson Smith Najigba. Yeah, he's my guy too. Like I went like I went back and I was watching some Julian Fleming film uh last week, late last week. And he's awesome. He's really big. He's explosive. It's just hard for me to like wrap my head around what he might be as a freshman because when you watch his highlight film, He's playing two-way football in Pennsylvania, and he's just the biggest dude on the field, and no one can stop him. And they're just throwing him screens behind the line, and he's just running by everybody. And he's a he's an incredible athlete, but I don't I, I still wonder about that adjustment for him coming from that level to playing major college football. Meanwhile, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Rockwall, Texas, I think might be a little more ready to play right away and have his bearings a little more in a game like uh, like we're talking about with the Michigan game. So he'd be my pick, too. Dude had like 500 yards a game last year. Like, I mean, yeah. every single time you looked at uh, how he was doing, and he was playing in a pretty good league in Texas. So um, I think that just like from a season standpoint, he would be the safer pick. He's fast. He's big. Um, he has proven production. And I just – there's four receivers that have ranked in the top 60 overall national players last year. I think Mookie Cooper doesn't get consideration for this because he didn't play high school football his senior year. Um, but how do you how do you really project this? I, I just go with production and, and who I think has the the makeup to do it, and that's Jackson Smith and Jigba. Yeah, if if it was Mookie Cooper, he'd be the only one that would surprise me. Um, the other three: G. Scott, uh, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, and Julian Fleming. I think it's all on the table for for any of those three. I think Jackson's skill set and I've said this before, gives him the best chance of like finding finding a home this year because I think he more than maybe the other guys you can move around a lot and do some different stuff with. So he's, he's probably the safe bet in that kind of conversation. Absolutely. All right, we'll wrap up there. Uh, thank you guys so much uh, for listening to 4 to 6 with A and B. Subscribe to The Athletic if you're not. Subscribe already, theathletic.com slash 4 dash 6. Thanks again to Bruce Feldman for joining us. Thank you all uh, for sending your questions. Sorry we couldn't get to every single one of them, but we appreciate the thoughtfulness that you put into them, and uh, we'll ask for some more moving forward. We'll uh, we'll talk to you guys next week, right? Anything else you want to add, Ari? Nope. You're, you're such a good host. Why don't you just close it for us? Yeah, I'm the best. All right. See you guys later.